Hi everyone, my name is Aura Ogorin. I'm with ACAP Advisors and Accountants and welcome to another series of our educational webinars where we have a subject matter expert come in and talk and do a deep dive on their area of expertise. And today I'm really fortunate to have Mark Schwartz with us. I'll do a brief intro on Mark in a second, but before I jump into that, let me tell you a little bit about ourselves. We are ACAP Advisors and Accountants. We are both a wealth management firm and a full service CPA firm. We work with clients all over the country and we have clients where we work with them on a wealth management where we do financial planning and manage their portfolios, but we also work with small businesses and helping them with their payroll, their bookkeeping, their accounting, really anything tax and accounting related, we work with them. Uh, so without further ado, let me introduce Mark Schwartz. Mark is an attorney. He's, his expertise is in estate planning, real estate, and I believe business formations, Mark, so correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, without further ado, I'll welcome Mark and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you, Ara. Thank you very much for um, giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and what you do. So, you know, the biggest compliment anybody can ever pay someone is to trust them to do something for them. So um, I recognize what you're doing here and I, and I appreciate it. Um, as you mentioned, uh, my name is Mark Schwartz. Um, I have an original uh, firm name to the law offices of Mark Schwartz. And <laughs> yes, we do specialize in estate planning. Um, we especially specialize in helping uh, younger families. Um, we have something in my office called a, a kids protection plan, um, where we help parents name not just permanent guardians, but temporary guardians. And well, we do a lot more um, kind of helping parents with their kids. Of course, we help everybody. Um, I feel like we go the extra mile with all of our clients. We we make sure their assets are tracked so they don't end up in um, you know the unclaimed state fund uh, department. Um, we also do something called a legacy interview. So we do a lot of things that are different, um, and uh, love to talk more about it. But I think we actually have a specific topic today, don't we? Yeah, yeah, today, and I know those are all important topics and things that come up with our clients often, uh, but I'll tell you today's topic, we're gonna to talk about IRAs and naming beneficiaries in general with IRAs because I'll tell you, when we're working with clients and we refer them to an estate planner like yourself, the number one question is how should we designate our beneficiaries and our IRAs? And right. one thing that, and I'm sure I'd love you to, love you to uh, dive deeper into, is the elimination of the stretch IRA. So maybe whichever one you want to start off with, you can go ahead. Well, I, I think we need to understand a little bit of why uh, an IRA beneficiary is really important. So in general, any sort of inheritance that people get is almost always income tax free. It's kind of a little gift that the, uh, mm -hmm. the government gives to people. Um, and if you have less than, um, right now it's 11 and a half million or so, 11.6, it's also a state tax rate. So for most of our clients, um, inheritances are kind of a windfall. Um, IRAs are one of those exceptions because traditional IRAs, nobody's ever paid taxes on them. So for people who have been putting money into an IRA, um, they get to put it in pre-tax, so it kind of benefits them. Um, when someone goes to take that money out, though, there's income tax to the beneficiary. So a lot of beneficiaries want to keep their money in that IRA for as long as possible because it allows the money to grow and compound, which I'm sure right. you tell all of your clients. 
And then later on down the line, you can pay some taxes when you pull that money out. So the old rule used to be that if you left your IRA to somebody, your, your adult kids, for example, they could stretch it. And what, they, what they mean by stretch is they take your remaining life expectancy. So let's say your beneficiary is 20 and their life expectancy is, I don't know, 70. Um, you could take minimum distributions over that 50 years. Mm -hmm. And you'd still pay income tax on those minimum distributions, but at least you're taking um, the minimum and the bulk of everything is still growing. So that was what's called a stretch IRA. Right. Um, with the SECURE Act, which stands for, I think, setting up every community for retirement enhancement, um, I love their names. I think they come up with the name and then they kind of go back and go, what, what can we put in here that actually works? And yeah, exactly. I think they do the same thing too. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny. Um, they, they, they wanted to close that loophole. So now, at least for most people, we're going to go through some exceptions. Mm -hmm. The rule is you have to pull out all of the money in that IRA within 10 years of the debt. Right. So uh, that's the bad news. The good news is that they gave some tremendous flexibility in terms of how that money gets pulled out. You would come in. So as I said, in a stretch IRA, you got to take out these uh, minimum distributions, often called, uh, often, they're called RMDs, right. required distributions. Um, so on that stretch, I said, you, you got to take them all every year, right? On the tenure, though, there's no rule. So you, as the inheritor, beneficiary, um, can decide to stretch that out over the 10 years, or you can just say, hey, 10 years uh, is up, I'm gonna take all that money. I think it really depends on your tax situation and what works best for you, Right. and that's what you would come in. So that, that's kind of like the whole stretch change that happened. Okay, and this is, and I just want to point out, this only applies to non-spousal IRAs, right? Because the spousal IRA didn't change, correct? Yeah, so spousal IRAs are really cool. So you should always have your spouse as your initial uh, beneficiary. And what a spouse can do is they can just take that money that um, was left to them by their deceased spouse, and they can just throw it into their IRA. And then it's okay. just treated as, you know, a normal IRA. Okay. And um, so obviously this was a great wealth transfer strategy before the CARES Act because people used to name their grandchildren or someone really young as a beneficiary. And as a result, they had this several years of uh, um, the ability for the IRA to grow and very minimal amount of R&D requirements. So obviously that went away. Something that's kind of a, that's also used is to step up in basis on uh, inherited assets, obviously none related to IRAs. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Is that, I've heard that's on the chopping block too, that might go away. Is that, um, that's commonly used as well, right? Maybe talk about step up yeah. basis and how that works. Yeah, let, let, we'll talk about that. Uh, just a little small correction. You, you said CARES Act. That's the most recent uh, uh, benefit to people. We're talking, we were talking about the SECURE, Secure Act. Yes, I apologize. Yes, SECURE Act, yes. <laughs> the CARES Act for people from one that gave everyone $1,200 and you know, a bunch of other things. Right, right, okay. Okay, step up in basis. Um, the easiest way that I explain this to people is you have a house. Um, basis, for lack of a better definition, is really purchase price. Because um, mm -hmm. that's easy. It, it does vary, but that's the easiest right. way for people to understand it. 
So you buy a house for $50,000, like my mom did in 1970, and now it's worth uh, $3,000,000. It's not quite that much now, but let's say that happens. So <laughs> it happens. Mom, <laughs> God willing. So if my mom were to sell that house, she would normally have to pay taxes between the fifty thousand and the three million. So what's right. that? Two million nine fifty. Right. Um, there are some credits here in California, um, but let's forget those for a second. Um, when you inherit that property, so let's say that me and my brothers inherit my mom's property, that fifty thousand dollars is stepped up to the purchase price, or it's stepped up to the date of value on the debt. So when my mom dies and it's worth $3 million, we got to sell it. The IRS says it's, we bought it for $3 million, we sold it for $3 million, so no tax gift. Right. Um, if you wanted, or my brothers and I wanted to keep the house, let's say for another 10 years, um, the basis or that purchase price would be $3 million, and then we would have to pay taxes on whatever it is that new purchase price is and that new basis. So yes, they're thinking about eliminating that step up in basis because as I said at the beginning, there's this huge gift that people who inherit get. There's, there's no income tax. So in order, to, um, in order to get more money, they're thinking about eliminating that step up in basis so that when I inherit it and I sell it, I would have to pay the tax on the difference. But there's, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up on that, for right now at least. Right. A lot of my clients, and I don't know about your clients, they don't want to do proper estate planning because it's, a, it's expensive and they think it's a pain in the butt and they don't want to face their mortality. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they'll do things like, you know what, I'm just going to put my, my son's name on title. That way, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all, I don't have, they, they won't have to worry when I die. <laughs> I'm laughing because I already know where this is going. There's a whole bunch, and, and, and it's amazing, even really bright, smart people do this because they just think it's easier. Right. One of the major drawbacks of that is that the child loses that step up in basis yeah. because the basis gets transferred to the child. Whereas if they would have waited till mom or dad died, they would have gotten that step up in basis. And there's a lot of taxes, you know, a 30% tax bracket, you know, you're looking at a lot. The other reason I often tell people not to do that is you've now exposed your house to all of your child's creditors. So if your child gets sued, God forbid, now one of their assets is your house. Yeah. So now you risk you know, losing your house if your kid does something stupid. We actually had a similar situation uh, a few years ago where uh, someone inherited, one of our clients inherited stock from their grandmother. The grandmother was still alive, so the, the person who inherited got the grandmother's cost basis. And these are stocks going back to the 1940s. So you can imagine how much unrealized gains and taxation that was involved in it. So there's a lot of tax planning on our end that we had to do to make sure that they were not exposed to a lot of capital gains taxes. Yeah, uh, it, it, people people who do things without advisors, it's kind of like doing surgery on yourself. It's like, right. yeah, it might work, but really, you want to do that? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, that's, and unfortunately it happens all too often where you found, find out after the fact, they come to you and say, oh, I sold my house to my, my son, or I, you know, transfer the property to so-and-so, and, and it's kind of too late at that point. Well, especially entrepreneurial clients, you know, they think they know everything, and so, you know, they, they, they'll figure it out, because they've always figured it out. Right. So another thing that, you know, comes up, and uh, maybe you've touched upon this already, so when someone sets up a trust, you have a family, let's assume you've got 
husband and wife, they have two kids, they just set up a trust. What is there a, uh, a general um, suggestion for who they should name as beneficiaries for their IRAs? I've heard that the IRAs should be the trust. I've heard that it should be the kids. What's what's a general rule of thumb on that? Or is there not a general rule of thumb? There's not necessarily a general rule. Um, there's a big um, issue with how old are your kids. So, you know, like I said, I work with a lot of younger families. So let's say that... Um, you know, you want to name your, your, well, let's go back. Under the SECURE Act, I mentioned the 10-year rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, there, are, there are several exceptions to that 10-year uh, rule that allow for a stretch. So minors, okay. um, special, um, special needs people, um, those are a couple of the big exceptions. Um, so on the minor, it's a little bit wonky. So you can name a minor as a beneficiary. And they can stretch it based on their lifetime up until they turn the age of majority, 18. Okay. And then they have to take it out within 10 years after that. So even okay. though it says it's an exception, it's, it's, it's really not an exception. Um, what I often recommend my clients do is if they especially have minor children, they name their trust as a beneficiary. There's a lot more control when you do that. Now, there's also some drawbacks. But right. go ahead, Ari, you're going to ask a question, I think. So actually, it's related to that. So let's assume that they don't name the trust. They name their child, and their child is three months old, for example. In a sense, right. they're getting 18 years or almost 18 years of stretch, right? Or, or am I mistaken right. on that? No, you, are, you are correct. Okay. And, and then, then how they turn 18, they have right. And then how, so let's assume, unfortunately, if the, if the, the parents were to pass away and the child gets the, uh, uh, um, the, the IRA, what happens there? Is there like a guardian that comes into place that, that oversees the IRA if there's no trust in place? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, and, and I'll, I'm going to be honest. I actually haven't seen that happen. Um, uh-huh. One of the things we didn't mention is the SECURE Act just went into effect uh, January 2020. Okay. So uh-huh. I haven't had any clients yet, but based on my knowledge, yes, a guardian would be appointed because a, a child cannot inherit um, in their own name. So a guardian right. would be appointed, and that's how it would you are correct. Hopefully that will not happen anytime. So uh, never no, want a no, no. <laughs> young child to lose both their parents. Now, um, t- tell us more about naming the trust as a beneficiary. How does that work if you have young, young okay. kids? So, so normally when you name a trust as a beneficiary, um, it actually reduces, and this was before the, the Secure Act, it, um, all distributions have to be made within five years. Um, wow, okay. And that was before and that's now. Um, one of the exceptions is you can do what's called a see-through trust, um, as, a, as like you're like it's transparent. Okay. And if you did a see-through trust, you could do a stretch. That is no longer applicable because oh. that stretch thing has been uh, eliminated. So if you did name a trust and you did have it as a see-through trust, my understanding is that the taxes would still be due probably within 10 years. Mm-hmm. But then you could still keep the money in the trust and you could protect the money from the kids. Okay. Um, one of the things we haven't mentioned about um, is one of the things that I do, well, a, a lot of attorneys will distribute money out to their children based on certain ages. So, you know, some parents will pick a, a date really in the future, like when my kid turns 40. 
right. some kids, some attorneys will say, you know, a third of 25, a third of 30, a third of 35. There's, there's a lot, you can do what's called ages and stages. You can pick any combination. Right. So what I do, and this is a variation of what I just talked about, is I leave it all in an asset protection trust. And the see-through trust that I just mentioned can also be configured as an asset protection trust. Okay. So really what I'm doing is I'm keeping the money out of the child's name. And the benefit of that is when a child, uh, or if a child gets divorced, if a child has creditor issues, um, right. even if a child gets uh, has to file for bankruptcy, since the money is no longer in that child's name, um, that money is protected. So you can do that with an IRA as a beneficiary as well. Oh, okay. Um, but, but there's some tax implications there that I'm not an expert in yet, but that's why I bring in tax advisors like you. So then in that situation, the the R&D flows through to the child, but oh, they're only entitled to that R&D, and if there's a creditor, they cannot go after the, the a principal of that IRA. Only yeah, the R&D so amount. The, so the R&D actually flows through the trust. Um, but, but, then to the, but then to the child, though, right? Because eventually it has to go to the trial or it stays within the trust? It stays within the trust. Okay. Before, we used to use what are called conduit trusts, where it did flow to the kid. Okay. Um, now we would use what are called accumulation trusts, which where the money would stay in the trust, but um, then, then there's tax implications to that. Um, right. The trust in, trust pay a lot more in income taxes than a beneficiary does. Right. So I, our highest tax bracket for a trust is 30%, I think, or maybe more. Um, but that starts at income of 12000 So yeah. really quickly, it, it gets up there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty clear that it's, it, there's no easy solution to anything. It really depends on the circumstance of what uh, uh, what the parental involvement is, and what you know, how many kids they have, and whether if it's a blended family, and so many different variations to this that determine whether or not uh, what kind of a trust they're going to set up, which is more reason why they have to come to someone like you. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, look at all the options we've already gone through. I mean, right. You know, yeah. you so many permutations. You can name one. You can name an individual, a tenure. If it's a minor, you have other issues. If you want to name a trust, and you have other issues. You know, it used to be really simple. You know, people didn't get too thoughts about it. It's like, yeah, you have to name my kid, and I mean, I need my spouse, and I need my kids. Okay, right, that's right. it. Exactly. Um, but there's more to it than that. Okay. Uh, well, anything else related to the um, the stretch IRA or the beneficiary designations or trust that we've already talked about that's worth mentioning? No, I, I the, the only thing is, you know, for people who have large IRAs. Um, especially a million dollars and more where they use that as their kind of primary retirement. Right. Um, you know, the, it's something you really need to consider. And there's other things we didn't discuss, like, you know, planning wise, and this would be more your arena. Like, right. you know, do you convert your IRA to a Roth IRA? You know, do you want to, I mean, do, I, I read recently that some financial advisors are with this new change you know, maybe you want to spend down your IRA and then find other ways of transferring wealth. So there, there's things like that that also need to be addressed. Um, 401ks are also subject to this type of thing. So th there's just a lot, and it's kind of hard to shove it into all of this. But what we, I think what our goal was is just give an overview and, and basically right. let people know that there's issues. And, you know, that's kind of what I always tell my financial advisor friends. Like, we just spot issues, and then we can figure them out. 
Right. And from our perspective, we always tell uh, clients it's always good to have options. So we don't yeah. like it when a client has all their money in a tax deferred bucket, whether if it's an IRA or a 401k or all their money in a Roth bucket or all their money in a taxable bucket. So, I mean, yeah. obviously this is tax diversification. You want to have some money in a taxable bucket, some money in a tax deferred bucket and some money in a tax uh, tax deferred or tax free bucket mainly because we don't know what tax rates are going to be like a year from now, let alone 10 or 20 years from now, because 10 years from now, maybe they might change the rule and say, well, we're going to start taxing Roth IRAs. Or they might say, you know what, now qualified dividends are taxed at ordinary income tax rates or whatever they might decide. The idea is that if you've got all your money in one bucket, you're basically handcuffed to the taxation of that bucket and how that money's taxed. Whereas if you've got it in three different buckets, and it's time to pull money out, you can pull money out from the bucket that's the most tax benefit to you. Yeah, see, that's the kind of stuff that just makes logical sense, but people don't think about it until someone mentions it. and like, oh, yeah, why would I want to keep all my stuff in one bucket? Yeah, because it's really right? all the stock options, and they yeah. keep, you know, they don't bother diversifying it. They just think that the stock's always going to go up. Yeah, I mean, because it's appealing, right? They think that uh, from the stock perspective, it's very, very difficult emotionally to sell something that's gone up in value and buy yeah. something that's gone down in value. But you know, going back as any uh, uh, you know, financial analysis you do or uh, um, uh, technical analysis shows that diversification and rebalancing your portfolio minimizes your risk over the long term. But from the tax perspective, it's very tempting for someone to put money into a raw bucket because you're going to get the money out tax free. But that's right now. We don't know what tax rates are going to be like later on. Right. Cool. So, all right. Okay. Good. So, Lord, uh, hopefully you'll have me back. But this was fun, and I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk to you and educate some people. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it as well. And we're going to put your contact information at the end as well, and hopefully people will be able to, to reach you and, and find your website. But thank you very much for coming on uh, with us. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, Mark, it's, it's always great to, to meet you. And hopefully once COVID's over, we get a chance to see each other in person again. I would like that very much. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thanks, Mark.